0: going to continue in our year through Ephesians, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Now, as you're turning there, I want to, for those of you who like theological things, I like to study theology a little bit, give you a couple little nuggets here as we begin. Uh, This passage, verses 1 through 10, again, this is Paul writing in a one-breath sentence here in the original text. There's no punctuation in the original Greek. It's just there. He just gets going and he just goes. But really from a theological standpoint, verses 1 through 3, if you're familiar with the doctrine of total depravity, which would be that there is nothing good in mankind at all from birth, from the very beginning, that is really one of the main passages of where that originated from. That was the inspiration of 1 through 3, what Thomas covered last week. You know, all that happy good news that he got to talk about. But verses 4 through 10 really um, is, is very significant from a theological standpoint because this is really where Martin Luther, um, the you know, famous reformer who tacked the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg Chapel door uh, and, and started the Reformation, uh, verses 4 through 10 is really one of the uh, pivotal scriptures for him in his belief that we are saved by grace through faith, not by anything of works, not by anything that we can do, but by the grace of Jesus Christ and placing our faith in him. So we're going to read verses two through four, and I want you to listen to this in the mindset that there is a fluidity of thought here. We've taken a couple of weeks and broken it down, but Paul did not take two weeks to write this. Was, wasn't two separate thoughts. He was talking about how we were dead in trespasses. We once walk, walked following the course of the world, uh, the prince of the power of the air, work and sons of disobedience. We carried out the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body. These two passages are connected. It is a what we were and what we are. And we're going to go over a list of that here. We're going to compare and contrast those here in just a little bit later in the sermon. But right now, keep that in mind that these two passages are connected as we read beginning in verse 4. But God. But God. There may not be any more two powerful words in the history of mankind than this phrase, but God. Talking about what we were, dead in our sins and trespasses. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, we, we thank You, we praise You, and we hope that um, the, the, the words that we have spoken, the actions that we have taken, and the things that we have done here today are glorifying and pleasing to You, Father, that, um, that God, that our focus would remain and continue to be glorifying You in everything that we do. So Father, as we come into this time of worshiping You and Your Word, God, I pray that You are pleased with the reading of Your Word. And God, I pray that You use me, sanctify my voice, set apart my voice, allow Your Holy Spirit to speak through me, That I say what is accurate, what is right, and what brings glory to You and You alone, and not me or anyone else that's here, in Jesus' name, Amen. So I don't I don't really often title my messages. I don't go into each week with a title, um, but I think I'm going to with this one, and it's it's kind of a riveting one. We're going to call this one today, "How Not to Live Dead." how not to live dead. This is about becoming alive in Christ. In a present tense situation, in a present tense state, if you're a believer. If you believe in Jesus Christ, He's extended His grace towards you. By your faith, you've repented, you've been baptized, and you're serving Jesus Christ. You are spiritually alive. Thomas talked to us last week that no matter really how good we are, no matter how morally correct that we are, without Jesus Christ, spiritually, we're dead. We're without hope. We're lost. There is nothing that we can cling on to with the hopes beyond this life. But God, being rich in mercy, which mercy basically means, a a very foundational definition is, mercy being that you do not receive what you deserve. So what you deserve, the punishment for your sin, the punishment for your iniquities and your trespasses, God's mercy keeps us from getting that. Grace, on the other hand, which we're saved through, His grace, gives us what we don't deserve. So basically, the penalty that we deserve, death, sin, eternal separation from God, all of the the wrath of God, we're saved from that because of His mercy, which was put on Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him, then He extends His grace to us and gives us what He deserves, not what we deserve. But I believe that everyone in here who is a believer has this base level understanding that we do not repent, say the sinner's prayer, we're not baptized, and then everything is just a waiting game everything we just hit cruise control we don't have to worry about anything we have to still live life amen we still have to go through life we still face struggles we still face trials we still face difficult situations and what we're commanded to do and what we're going to see is do not live dead let me explain that to you I've got my new best friend here with me would you all like to meet my new best friend Okay, not everybody at once. Would you all like to meet my new best friend? His name's Timmy. I'm going to show you Timmy. Is this camera on? (laughs) All right. It's Timmy. Everybody say hi, Timmy. (laughs) Everybody's out there like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, we talked about Jesus' sacrifice and his death a couple times. It's, It's believed that the crucifixion, which Jesus died on the cross, as we have backlit back here, is maybe the most painful, most excruciating form of death, especially during the Roman times. And I'm not here to argue that. But what I will do is I want to, I'm going to submit to you that it's not the most cruel. Maybe not the most cruel death that the Romans used as punishment. For example, the Roman culture, when someone was found guilty of murder, they would take the body of the person that they murdered and they would strap them limb for limb to them on their backs. like So it would be wrist to wrist. They would tie their necks together, tie their waist together, and then tie their feet together. And their punishment was to drag this corpse around, this body around that they had taken their life until they died also. And it was an extremely cruel... And I'm going to try to stay away from being graphic here, so I'm going to try to do it as, as generally as I possibly can. But the dead body that was strapped onto the living person, eventually, all of the decay and the things that causes a body to decay would creep into the living person and begin to slowly eat away at the life in that person. So it was an incredibly nasty, cruel death. And what it would do is it would not kill them quickly. But it was a slow, painful, agonizing death that took place over a long period of time. And the funny, the, one of the funny things about it is, is it got to the place that it would take so long that the person who was still alive got to the place they would operate in their regular lives without even realizing that they still had a corpse attached to them. See, they just conditioned themselves to live with whatever situation they had. Folks, can I present to you that when you walk around with the nature of sin, the body of sin, the curse of sin, still hanging on to you and your life, it is something as a believer that's going to cause you a slow, crippling death that's going to separate you from Christ. We don't need to live dead. And see, this would be like me taking Timmy and dragging him around with me everywhere you go. You know, sin. Sin is heavy. Sin is a burden. Paul talks to us and says, lay aside the weight that so easily besets us. And this laying aside in the original Greek is not something like okay here now I know I know I know you don't want to go I'm sorry but but you've got to go. No, it is forcefully getting rid of the nature of sin that Satan still hovers over your life. The Satan that Thomas talked about with his tools, with his devices, with his schemes still comes at you. Just because you give your heart to Jesus Christ does not mean that he's going to leave you alone. The wages of sin is death. Sin is heavy, and Paul talks to us. Sorry, Timmy. He tells us to cast it off. He's not light. Ninety pounds, something like that. Just one. If I listen, I got some cardio in. Just going over there and bringing him up to here. It's the same thing with sin in our life. When we drag it around, it weighs us down. And we can get so comfortable. At first, we're like, no, this isn't me anymore. We get saved and we're on fire for Jesus and we want to be going, we want to be doing. We we hate sin. We want to get as far away from it as we can. But the more we allow it to linger, the more that dead corpse of sin is attached to our lives the more life it pulls from us. We need to take sin and cast it aside. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about what we were as opposed to what we currently are as believers. Turn to John chapter 15 with me. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up here on the screen for you. But the Gospel of John chapter 15. This is Jesus in a vineyard on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, on the way to the cross, and he stops in this vineyard to teach his disciples. Verse 1 out of chapter 15 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me he can do nothing. So, how do we not live dead? You stay connected to Jesus Christ. You stay connected to the vine. And that's what he's telling us here in John 15. Stay connected to me. And it's not one of those commands that Jesus just gives us and then he walks off and he goes, good luck with that. I'll see you on the other side. Hope everything works out okay for you. In this example that he gives us in the vineyard, in verse 2 especially, it's, it, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let me, let me pause right here on this passage and let's, let's kind of break down this Verse 2 for just a few moments. Because I think that there are there are times that we kind of look at this and maybe the wrong way. And I just I, I kind of want to propose something to you here that maybe we've looked at it uh, the wrong way. Um, verse 2: Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, in just about every translation that you'll see says, takes away or throws away. And we see later on in this passage in verse 7 that very much you can be removed and that you will be thrown into the fire. But I want to submit to you here in this verse, in verse 2, this isn't what he's talking about. He's not talking about removing or thrown away or takes away because this same Greek word can also be translated into lifts up. That if you're not bearing fruit... He lifts you up. And I think that fits with with what the the Apostle John is writing here because after that he says that every branch that that does bear fruit, he prunes. He's talking about the Savior, our vine dresser, the one who supplies our every need, is there for us to do what needs to be done in order for us to produce fruit for him. If you're not producing fruit, Jesus, and, and, and this should be extremely good news to all of us, God is not just a one-chance God. He's not just a second-chance God. He's not just a third-chance God. I go through multiple chances each and every day where God should wipe His hands of me and cast me away. But God says, no, I am still love you. No, you're still mine. No, I'm still here. God isn't one that says, oh, well, I saved you. Yep, you messed up that one time. Sorry, you failed. How many of you are glad that the good news of Jesus Christ includes Him not giving up on us and that we get multiple chances? If you're not bearing fruit, He lifts you up and He cleans you off. No. Uh, How many of you have any type of fruit trees around your property or your house? Okay, few, few. Um, Throughout this winter, how much fruit have they produced? None, right? Okay, Diane, I saw your hand go up. What, What type of fruit trees do you have? Apple. Okay, apple. Good. Which, by the way, we do not know for certain if that was the forbidden fruit or not in the Garden of Eden. Everybody thinks it's an apple. I think it was an onion. (laughs) I've got a whole theological spill. I'll save it. But basically, whenever man was cursed, the fruit he ate was cursed, and the onions are the nastiest thing on the planet. So it was the onion. But anyhow, we've got an apple tree. Since it went this whole winter and didn't produce an apple, does it change the fact that it's still an apple tree? No. Right? Still an apple tree. But it wasn't in season for it to produce fruit. Now, I'm not trying to give you a reason to not be productive and produce fruit for Christ. But I am, un- I am trying to tell you that there will be seasons in your life where you're more fruitful than what you are in other seasons. There will be times in your life that you find a season that you're not producing any fruit whatsoever. Do not allow the physical manifestation to, re- to determine what your identity is and who you really are. But let, me just, let me just reinforce that. If you're in a season of your life right now, or if you've been in a season of your life, (coughs) COVID, uh, that you're not producing some type of fruit for God, do not let the enemy come in and convince you that your identity has changed just because you may be in a season where you're not producing fruit. But one thing you can't do is sit back and justify it and, and not produce fruit and say, it's the off season for me. No, we constantly have to be connected. We constantly have to be putting forth effort and striving to bear fruit for Christ. But sometimes, it's more important for our relationship with Him to be the fruit instead of our relationship with others. Sometimes it's more important for me to take a season to where I'm seeking God in Him only. And the fruit may be on pause. But that connection can never waver that connection can never be severed the second part of that is one that we should all be cheering about because whenever he goes and those of you who do produce fruit guess what i'm going to prune you so you can produce more fruit like anybody ever pruned something it 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 can't be a pleasant experience right because i mean there's this this growth that's happening and if it grows too much it grows out of control and the fruit that it does produce becomes smaller and of, of of less quality it's a poorer quality fruit but when you prune it then you concentrate this this vine this plant this tree whatever it is into producing in a in a in a selected area and it produces at the best of its ability So how do we keep from dragging the weight of sin around with us? You stay connected to Jesus Christ. Okay, well, well, we stay connected. How do we stay connected? I'm glad you asked. I'm really glad you asked. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. Verses 14 and 15. Joshua chapter 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house we will serve the lord now we're a house that believes in the sovereignty of god that god is all powerful god is all knowing he's almighty god is in control he's a sovereign god but we do see biblically where for whatever reason we're given forms of choice and we see that from the very beginning for mankind to have, an, have at least a level of choice in our lives. And we saw that in the Garden of Eden, because had God not had wanted us to have any choice, He wouldn't have put two trees there. Right? He gave him a choice. Eat of this one, don't eat of this one. And then if He wanted us to have really difficult times making choices, you know, like He never, hardly ever, ever, ever wanted us to make a choice then he could have gone back to the Garden of Eden and he could have said, oh, around the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil, I'm going to put a thorn bush. I'm going to put a big thistle of thorns up there because guess what? At that point, they didn't have any clothes on. And ain't nobody going to that tree. He would have made it much more difficult, but we have choice. On whatever level that's beyond my understanding, we have choice. And we see this coming through in, in Joshua's writing as, as well. Listen, I can't determine for you what God you're going to serve. I can't can't make that decision for you. That's not my call to make, that's yours. You can serve the God you've served before of your fathers. You can serve the God of the Amorites whose land you're in. But I'll tell you, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. We will serve the living God. And that's what we have to do. How do we not live dead? We stay connected to Christ. How do we stay connected to Christ? One of the ways is by making choices each and every day to remain connected to Him. And they don't always have to be big choices, but I guarantee you they're going to be choices nonetheless. When you first roll out of bed in the morning, you have a choice do I spend time with God first or do I catch up on social media first? When I go into work, do I have, is my words, are they going to be seasoned with salt and gentleness and kindness? Am I going to speak over people and treat them with the love of Jesus Christ? Or am I going to participate in the gossip, the backbiting, the tearing down, and the talking about of everybody who's not around me? When I pick up my phone, Do I make the choice when I'm all alone to still live a holy and pure of heart life or do I visit that site where nobody else is going to see what I'm looking at? When I have that encounter with that person of the opposite sex who's not my spouse, do I give way? Do I give way? give give this portion of the conversation, do I flirt? Do I just kind of insinuate some things? Or do I draw the line of righteousness and holiness in this? When I'm talking to someone, when I am face to face with someone who has slandered me, who has hurt me or my family, who has torn me or my family down, I choose that day, in that moment, that's how I'm going to treat them. Am I going to treat them the way that Christ would? Where He says that, Bless your enemies and those who spitefully curse you. When you have those interactions on social media, what's the choice as to how you're going to act about that? I'll tell you what, one of the best inventions on social media ever has been the snooze for 30 days option. If you've not utilized that, it's Beautiful. And then all of a sudden it comes popping back up, you're like, "Huh? Ah, snooze again. <laughs> Choose this day whom you will serve. Because following Jesus Christ, being alive in Christ, that statement, that two-word statement that I said that was the most powerful in the maybe in all of Scripture, that but God statement. It's about me staying connected, me walking away from my sin, me not letting that corpse of death and decay and sin attach itself to me and allow me to drag it around to where I believe and I embrace and I accept that that's my normal part of life. Folks, Christ came to set you free from the body of sin and death, not so you could just move it into the background and drag it around until it slowly and eventually consumes you. He came to give you life and life to the full. Amen? I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team if they were, would to come up. So I, I told you a little bit earlier in the message that we were going to do kind of a comparison and contrasting type thing, and I've got, got a slide up here that I'd like for all of us to look for. This is uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Okay, So this is encompassing all the entirety. Again, verses 1 through 3 told us what we were. Verses 4 through 10 tell us what we are. We were dead in our sins and trespasses we were disobedient we were we were part of the sons the children of disobedience and then we were children of wrath that's just what your sinful nature brings to you that's what you are in sin but God being rich in mercy saving us by his grace through faith we become alive with him We become raised up with Him, seated with Him. We're shown His great mercy. We're shown His great love. We're shown His great grace. We're shown His kindness. And the last one is amazing to me because it says that we are examples of God's grace. You are a walking, living, breathing testimony of Jesus Christ. And verse ten says that you are his workmanship, which is that example. It's his example for others to see. The Greek word for that word workmanship is the word we also get our English word poem from. Jackie, you will you will like that. She writes beautiful poetry, by the way. I don't know if you've got anyone's gotten a chance to read her poetry. But this word that is translated workmanship also means can be translated poem. So if you're His workmanship, then I want you to ask the question in your heart this morning, what type of poem are you writing for God? What type of alliteration of writing is your life showing? Is it showing one of beauty? Of gentleness? Of kindness? Or is it showing one that's Quick to anger, quick to slander, always judgmental, and tearing people down. What is your life's poem? Being his workmanship, what is it writing this morning?